Good morning. Everybody doing okay? We on here? All right. Well, it's good to see you today. I hope you're doing well. It's good again to be in the house of the Lord, to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together. That's why we're here. Um, you know, I'm sure if we didn't have a higher purpose for being here, we could find something else to do on a Sunday morning. But there is no higher purpose for which we're here. You can go someplace else and find you a nice social club to be a part of. Uh, you could find maybe more in, something that's a little bit more uh, of your style of entertainment. You know, Top Gun opened this the past week. And so, you know, there's, there's probably other things you could do. But when God created Adam and Eve, He did so for fellowship and worship. And that's why we're here this morning. To fellowship with our Father through the Son, by virtue of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, and to do so through singing, through the reading, and through the preaching of the Word. And and that's why we're here. And I'm glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, um, you should find in the bulletin um, a little square. And if you're so inclined to do so, um, you can take out the, the camera app on your phone, take a picture of that. It'll open up. It's also on the screen if you are visiting at home. And you'd like to fill one out, you can just take a picture of it. It'll open up um, a web app. And uh, down at the bottom of that, you, uh, of that digital bulletin that opens up, you'll find a place to just share information about yourself. Let us know that you're worshiping with us. A couple of announcements to make. First of all, um, our youth schedule for the summer has changed. Uh, we have youth tonight, and it'll be on Sunday nights at um, 6 o'clock. Not Wednesdays, but Sundays through the summer. So make that note. I'm sure most of the youth probably know. Maybe the, the parents didn't. So find out at church in case your kid doesn't talk. <laughs> also, next week, uh, next Sunday night at 6.30 is our June business meeting. And there's a business meeting agenda posted in the foyer. If you need to get an item of business on that agenda, just make sure you let me know by Wednesday. Uh, Vacation Bible School will start a week from tomorrow. And there's information about that. Somebody said, yeah, they're excited. Like that. Uh, it's about sanctity of life, and if you would like more information, you can read there. You'd also uh, want to know a little bit more about what, what goes on there. You can talk to, uh, to Callie Broyles here this morning. Uh, she's part of the steering team for that. Um, also, um, there is some packets um, for interested parties on the table in the foyer about Cold Creek Creation Camp. It's a free day camp for kids entering grades 1 through 6. It's sponsored by Grace Gathering Bible Church in Lano. Uh, So you can take a packet in the foyer. Carrie's not here this morning, but if you have her contact information, you have more questions about it, you can uh, contact her. Uh, But that's June 22nd to the 24th from 845 to 3. Finally, uh, at the end of the month, June 24th, we'll provide a meal for the volunteers of Mission San Saba. If you're interested in being a part of that and helping, providing food, whatever, just make sure you talk either to Barbara or Sue or to both. Um, Either way works. Are there any other announcements we need to make at this time? Ken, oh, blessing boxes. We got one more Sunday for blessing boxes. Next Sunday is our last Sunday for blessing boxes. So if you hadn't had a chance to donate to the blessing boxes, um, the, the information's in the foyer about what we're looking for, um, and uh, just put that inform- put what you donate in that box, and that'll be perfectly fine. So thank you, Ken. Yes, sir.
Yes, sir. Exactly. Yes, sir. Um, Roddy was making mention of, many of you know, uh, TJ and Connie Webster, their granddaughter, Addie, um, has, um, has cancer. She's four years old. And they're going to have a prayer vigil for her out at Pawnee Talk tonight. Um, but Roddy was saying, since we're having church here tonight, rest assured we'll spend some time praying for Addie so you won't feel bad for not going. Uh, but you're welcome to go. Um, I mean, free world, <laughs> free country. So well, you're welcome to do whatever you'd like to do. Anything else? Yes, sir. Thank you. The Bowden Family Memorial will be at 2 o'clock here at the church today. Um, so, And I think everybody's invited. Anything else? All right. Well, if you would please stand for this morning's uh, call to worship. I'll read the first slide and you come in on the second slide. We'll all read that one together. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bonnie, Hashabneah, Cherubiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. Let's worship together.
So it's kind of been a rough couple of weeks uh, in my end of the world. Um, I have about eight different people that I know of in my life that have passed away in the last two weeks. Um, some of them just relation to relation, but one of them shared an office right next door to me. Uh, we hollered at each other and gave each other a hard time. And, and uh, so it's been a rough time. And so these songs are very comforting. Um, the fact that Jesus Christ loved us enough to give his life on a cross so that this is not the end. Um, so as we sing these songs this morning, I just want you to focus. I told Shannon it's kind of like a, the whole thing's like an invitation. So if you want to walk the aisle when he's preaching, I'm sure he'll be okay with that. <laughs> but um, I just want you to listen to the words of these songs and really focus your heart on Jesus himself.
this morning is Pentecost. Um, when I was growing up, and I've all but just a little bit of my life been a part of a Baptist church. There was a while that Stephanie and I went to a non-denominational church in Tyler. Um, but I can't remember in all my growing up years much emphasis on Pentecost. In fact, you may think, what, what's the big deal with Pentecost? Um, in the Old Testament, it lined up with what was called the Feast of Weeks. And so when Passover happens 49 days, seven weeks after uh, Passover, they would celebrate um, the Feast of Weeks. Um, and so 50 days all total, Passover and then 49 days. So Jesus was crucified on uh, Passover. And then 49 days later in Jerusalem, um, the church was assembled together and God gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. And I think we can all agree um, what a gift that is uh, for all that we are called to do in the Christian life, to be and to do, is impossible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So I want to read Acts chapter 2. You can just sit and listen. If you'd like to turn uh, to Acts 2, you're more than welcome to. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1, and this is God's word. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire, uh, as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my, of my spirit on all mankind. And your daughters and your, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man 
delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who was ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continuing continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved.
you impossible. So we just come to you, Father, just confessing our need for you. Just saying to you that apart from you, whatever we look at in scripture is impossible. Like Shannon said, that without the Holy Spirit, that deposit on our life, we cannot be pleasing to you. Without the blood of Jesus, we cannot be pleasing to you. So God, as we sing this song together and we prepare to hear your word, I pray that you would just till the soil of our heart so that our stubbornness and our pride would just go away. Be glorified in us this morning, Father. Sing like this. 
Please take your copy of God's Word. Turn to the book of 1 Timothy. We'll be at 1 Timothy chapter, well that says chapter 1 verses 1 through 8, but that's not where we'll be. We'll pick up in verse 9. We did uh, 1 through 8 last week. So uh, 1 Timothy 2 verses 9 through 15. Title of this morning's sermon, you notice there's a theme. Uh, each sermon has had the word contending in it. You might um, ask for, what is it, a, a definition of contend? Uh, it means to, to go to battle for. Uh, so the title of this morning's sermon is Contending for Women, Going to Battle for Women. Now, this text that I'm about to preach to you, um, <clears throat> I don't know, you might want to throw tomatoes at me or eggs or whatever when, when we leave. I'm going to preach it straightforward. Um, I'm you're, you can probably guess where I'm going with this. I'm not going to uh, venture off the reservation here. Um, it's going to be straightforward. Um, but I, the reason I say this is because uh, there's no way in the time that we have left that I would be able to do justice, uh, to exegete, and to, to share with you what this text means, as well as do justice to... How is it that people will seek to undermine while I'm about to, what I'm about to preach? So, therefore, <clears throat> tonight at our, at our evening Bible study, that will be what our time will be dedicated to. We had been spending some time recently on, on uh, our covenant, <clears throat> and so those are happening with some um, degree of regularity. But tonight, uh, what I want to do again this morning, preach just straight through the text, and then tonight deal with how people will uh, attack, undermine, offer alternate interpretations to this text that alter its meaning drastically. So I would ask you, if you would, please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. This is 1 Timothy chapter 9, verse, chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. This is God's Word. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold and, or graded hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. 
And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text. Uh, We thank you that um, in preaching through a book, we come across sections of Scripture that must be understood clearly. Um, Preaching through a book doesn't give us the opportunity to skirt around things that we would rather uh, perhaps steer clear of. So we thank you for bringing this to our church today. Uh, We rest in your sovereignty and your goodness uh, and your omnipotence that you brought us to this point today. We trust in your word. We trust that it is good that Paul is actually here uh, contending for women, for their good, for the sake of the church, for the church's witness in the world. So, Father, help us to, if we, or there could be people here right now that the hair on the back of their neck has already stood up, and uh, perhaps they're not ready to listen. Lord, comfort their heart. Give them peace. Uh, give them um, softened hearts, ears ready to hear, and uh, we'll give you all the glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, one of our flagship uh, Southern Baptist seminaries is Midwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, and it's up in the Midwest, as the name indicates. There's a professor there by the name of Andreas Kostenberger who wrote a book, by the con- and, and he was a contributor to that book and a co-editor of this book, and it's now in its third edition. And uh, the title of the book is Women in the Church, and it focuses specifically on this text. And in that, he relates, or one of the contributors relates a story of a new Christian in an ethnic-based church who read 1 Timothy 2 for the first time. And she was asked, do you find that this text is difficult? This is what her reply was. No, it's easy. Paul is saying women shouldn't teach in the church because that's the way God wants it. It would be easy to suppose, and that's end quote, Um, It would be easy to suppose that, and this is the author, this contributor of this this essay, that her ethnic background probably made it easier for her to do that. But can you see that the opposite might be true? That our culture influences our reading of the text and that many of the difficulties we find in it might exist because of our culture and our personalities and not because of the text itself. Now I'll expand on what it means there, women shouldn't teach in the church. Trust me, I'll get there. Perhaps you noticed this last week. And it, it, I think, again, God's sovereignty. I'm never surprised when God brings the text to our church at a particular time. Remember a few years back, I was preaching a sermon series, Counterculture. And while we were preaching through that, two things happened. There was a race-related shooting, and I was preaching on race. There was a, then Obergefell was handed down from the Supreme Court. And we were talking about uh, sexual, sec, biblical sexuality and marriage. And, and guess what started this month? Pride month. Pride month. Where it says a man can be a woman, a woman can be a man, both can be neither or whatever they decide. There was a film that came out this last week by a man named Matt Walsh. Not familiar with him. He works for the Daily Wire. I'm not promoting this film. I'm just telling you this came out. And the title of the film is, What is a Woman? 
Now you realize that was the question that was presented at the last Supreme Court hearing. And our, the newest justice on the Supreme Court said, well, what do you mean? I don't know that I can answer that. So odd. This film, uh, he, he goes to Africa and asks people about transgender uh, and, and changing sexual, sexual orientations and that kind of thing. And they look at him as if you're just ludicrous. It's just dumb. Um, and that's not to throw anybody that has those thoughts under the bus. Christ heals and, and, and redeems everyone. But it is to say, again, I'm not surprised when God brings this to the forefront in our church right now, given what's going on in our current setting in the country. But I do want to tell you this, straight up, full stop, this is not a difficult passage. This is not a difficult passage. And it's not a difficult passage if we begin with three overlapping assumptions. Don't take them separately. They overlap. And the first assumption is this, authority. Authority. Now, that is a word that people, they get their hackles up with that. When you start saying authority, well, who are you to have authority over me? But in the context of 1 Timothy, we can assume this, that Paul is simultaneously a man with authority and a man under authority. You go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and he describes himself in these terms. An apostle of Christ Jesus. So as an apostle, he has authority. But he's an apostle of Christ Jesus according to the commandment of God our Savior. So you see there, he's a man with authority, but a man with authority according to the commandment. In other words, he's a man with authority under the authority of Christ Jesus and his word. And we shouldn't be caught off guard when Paul exercises the authority given to him. And he does. In verse 9 he says, I want, that's not a personal um, desire. He says, I do not allow, in verse 12, this is Paul speaking with apostolic authority. This is saying, don't do this. This is as good as a command. But remember, Paul uses his apostolic authority under the authority of Christ Jesus. We also shouldn't be surprised when we see Paul exercise apostolic authority within the authoritative precepts of God's revealed word. We'll see that today in verses 13 and 14 where Paul turns the attention of Timothy and the church there at Ephesus back to Genesis 2 and 3 in order to reinforce a point that he's making, which tells us something. And this is something that the Southern Baptist Convention and many church members at some time or another struggle with. The sufficiency of Scripture to address matters in the church. Oftentimes tradition is allowed to to, uh, dictate what goes on in a church. But Paul believes firmly in the sufficiency of God's revealed word to point the church in the right direction. So Paul believes that church leadership, the church, the scriptures, and Christ Jesus all have authority. And Paul is not here to abuse his authority, but to use it in service to Christ and his church. Second assumption. We can assume that Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus, the assembly, particularly. 
the assembly. In verses 8 and 9, when he uses the word, especially in verse um, 8, deacons, I'm sorry, verse 8, he says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And then he says, Likewise. Well, in verse 8, he's talking about the assembly. And likewise tells us there he's also talking about the assembly. And we could also then, uh, because verses 1 through 8 is, is, is a unit of thought, we could say all of that in verses 1 through 8, even verses 1 through 15, all of chapter 2 is about the assembly. Therefore, in applying this text, we should begin with the church assembled, church worship. Now there may be and there indeed are additional valid applications of the principles of this text to other topics. And those applications have their time and they have their place. But this morning is not going to be that time and place. Finally, we assume that Paul is using his apostolic authority for the advancement of women. Paul's not a sexist. He's not a bigot. He's not a male chauvinist. In fact... As a redeemed Pharisee, Paul has had to change his view on this. When he came to Christ, it changed his view about women in the church. And I think that will become more evident as we go along. Paul contends for women. He's for women. And he contends for women with three coordinated emphases. The first emphasis Paul brings to us is in verses 9 and 10. He emphasizes, he contends for women by putting an emphasis on their outward appearance. Again, verse 9 and 10. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women, making a claim to godliness. Now, Paul has three goals in this particular section of the text. His first goal is to stop the degradation of women. That's why he says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves, to beautify themselves with proper clothing. And he describes what that is modestly and discreetly. He's choosing those particularly because women in Ephesus were drawing attention to themselves through revealing clothing. Other translations would say that that proper clothing should, have, should be characterized by modesty and self-restraint or control or with decency and good sense or with propriety and moderation. Paul is saying here that the church is not a place that is to promote the degradation of women. There is no place in the church for revealing apparel. This is not a fashion show or a red carpet event. And again, Paul is using his apostolic authority for the good of women and for the good of the church. And these are interrelated, not separate considerations. Paul's second goal in emphasizing outward appearance is this. He wants to limit distractions in worship. Now... I've mentioned the first part about modestly and discreetly, but the last part of this verse where he says, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, he's saying there that the church is not a place where someone should show up and show out with ostentatious dress, uh, demonstrations of what kind of wealth they possess. In doing so, Paul is saying, when these women draw attention to themselves... They create discord in the church. There's jealousy. There's envy. 
They're putting themselves up over and above the good of others in the church by the way they dress. But that's not all of Paul's goals. He has a third goal. His third and final goal on emphasizing outward appearance is to encourage discipleship. Look at verse 10. He doesn't leave them with just an outward emphasis on beauty. He, he transitions to an inner understanding of beauty, verse 10, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. So there's proper clothing that ought to be worn and proper good works for women making a claim to godliness. Paul here prescribes a new standard for beauty. A woman exhibits Christian beauty when she is more concerned with the worship of Christ and the doing of good works than she is looking all put together in the latest styles. Now, we should say, not to swing the pendulum too far uh, this direction, Paul's not against fine clothing or wealth. Deep breath. Okay? Rather, He's for women. He does not want to see them degraded in church. They saw enough of that in Ephesian culture. He does not want them to be a distraction in worship and cause discord. And he does want them to grow as a disciple of Christ. So Paul is contending for women, not only through outward appearance, but also through order. Verses 11 and 12 And these are probably the most controversial and contentious uh, verses in this text, more notably verse 12. Verse 11 says, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Paul is contending for women through emphasizing order. It ought to be apparent to us from the previous point and also from all of this chapter that Paul is absolutely concerned with order. But it isn't order for order's sake that Paul's got in mind here. He's not having us think about Granny's parlor. You you can't go into Granny's parlor. You can't sit on that furniture. You just look. If you ever get caught in there... You know, they draw the circle on the wall and you've got to stand up tall and put your nose in it. This is not what Paul's doing. Paul is prescribing order for the sake of worship as well as the sake of women. So in verse 11 when he says, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. The Greek there says literally this, A woman quietly let her learn in all submissiveness. Now, the words there that, that oftentimes, and I'm, I'm going to venture a guess for ladies, is the word quietly and with entire submissiveness. Because they look at that and they think, that is repressive. It sets back the cause of women hundreds of years, perhaps even thousands of years, all the hard-earned work. That's not to discredit that, Okay? Neither I nor Paul want to set back the the, the things that that women have have realized in the last few hundred years. But to focus on these words is to miss 
the focus of Paul's point. To say it differently, when I study the scriptures for the sermon, I do a comparison of many translations. And I want to tell you that the English Standard Version, some of you have that, this this, uh, Christian Standard Bible, the Net Bible, the New King James, the New International 1984 translation, the New Living Translation, and the New Revised Standard Version all help readers to understand the focus of the text when they read that it's Paul wanting women to learn. That's the key point here. Paul wants women to learn. And this is a novel idea since neither Judaism nor Greek culture encouraged this because they didn't hold women in high esteem. So it follows, doesn't learning quietly with entire submission denigrate women? Is Paul working from the preconceived notion that because of Eve's role in the fall, all women are like Dennis the Menace? Whatever they touch, it just, man, it just falls to pieces? No. John MacArthur, in his study Bible, has a wonderful note to help us to understand what learning and quiet, learning quietly with entire submission means. Quietly, submissiveness, which submissiveness has the sense of to line up under. Those words were to characterize the role of a woman as a learner in the context of the church assembly. So in verse 12, where Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Paul is helping us to understand what quietly means in verse 11 with verse 12 where it says, I do not allow a woman to teach. And then in verse 11 where it says, with entire submissiveness, he explains that with, in verse 12, or exercise authority over a man. So listen here. Paul is not telling women, you just sit over there and shut your mouth. You're the cause of all of this, so you need to let men take the lead here because you're the one who messed all this up. That will be more apparent in a moment. Now, one thing I do want to stress here, when he says, I do not allow a woman to teach, he is talking in the office of an elder, apostolic authority to preach and to teach apostolic doctrine. He's telling women that they are to submit to church elders, not to be a church elder. So is Paul just being arbitrary here? Is he using his man eyes? Is he mansplaining to suppress the advancement of women? Well, the answer there, again, is an unqualified no. To expound upon this answer of no, however, we need to consider Paul's third emphasis. So he's contending for women through... through um, I lost all my points. Um, outward appearance, order, and finally, orthodoxy. Now, you may have not heard, or maybe you have heard this word orthodoxy before. I chose orthodoxy because it started with an O, okay? Not to try to confuse you. Because I try to remember things with an O and then I forget the first point. So, but I try. Orthodoxy simply means right doctrine. So after Paul says what he says in verse 11 or 12, he could have said, flexing his apostolic muscles, Because I said so. Right? I mean, Jesus Christ commanded me to be an apostle. 
And so these things are true because I, as an apostle, said so. Well, he doesn't do that, does he? He could have also said, and we talk about this every time we take the Lord's Supper together, where Paul says, I deliver to you what the Lord delivered to me. Now, on a contentious topic like that, how could women in the church be sure that Paul's just not acting out of a convenience here? I mean, that's just between you and the Lord. But that's not what Paul does here. Notice what he does. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he grounds the order of elder and female learner in the church in the authority of God's revealed word in Genesis 2 and 3. Verse 13, he says, For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Here, Paul refers to the fact that God in creation established male headship in creation. And we must understand this in order to rightly interpret verse 14. Verse 14 says, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So let's back up for a moment. There's two things that happened in the fall. Both of them were wrong. The first thing, Adam failed as Eve's head to lead her and to protect her from the serpent's temptation. That's the first failure. The second failure is Adam's failure leading Eve to act as her own head. Leading Adam into temptation. Now here's Paul's point in verses 13 and 14. There's more to it, but we'll stop here and and kind of put this together. Paul is saying that creation order is unchanged because of the fall. And to go against it is to go against God particularly in the church. God's created order is still good. So even though Adam failed his head, it doesn't follow that he forfeited headship and voided male leadership in the church. Eve failed when she assumed headship, which is a prime example, Paul uses here, of how devastating it is to go against male headship that God established in the created order. So that brings us to verse 15, and it might seem to you a little odd at first glance where he says, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now again, here, and I'm emphasizing this in this point, Paul is, is emphasizing orthodoxy, right doctrine, as he contends for women. And as you heard me read from the New American Standard Bible, it uses the word Preserved. There's also a note there in the text that says, um, i got to find it, uh, saved. Saved. Now that, that can be confusing. And if you have other translations that say saved, I want to tell you, I'm glad the NASB reads preserved. And here's why. Because Paul's not saying that women are saved. They're not justified through childbirth. That would be not orthodoxy, but heterodoxy. Doxy. Not right doctrine, but wrong doctrine. If this interpretation of this text was true, then every woman who has ever given birth is saved. And we'd all agree that is absolutely ludicrous. We are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ and His life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Nothing else. But to help us understand, I want you to remember how we think about salvation. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from 
power of sin, and I will be saved from the presence of sin. Now, keep that in the back of your mind, because there's one more consideration we need to think about here before we put all this together. When Paul says that a woman will be preserved through the bearing of children, here's what he's doing. He's using one unique quality of women to refer to the entirety of the unique role and calling of women. It's a figure of speech known as cynic-ducky. That might come up in a spelling contest someday. Cynic-ducky. just means one, one part refers to the whole. Now, Pride Month will change nothing at all. Women alone are called to the unique role of childbirth and motherhood. So as we put together Paul's ultimate point in verses 13 and 15... 13 through 15, we would say this. Order in the church is founded on the order God established in creation. That's orthodoxy. It's wrong for men in church leadership to abdicate their God-assigned role. It's also wrong for women to step into that vacuum and assume a leadership role God has not assigned for them. It is right for men and women both inside and outside of the church, to live in accordance with the role God has given them. That's what Paul's point is in verse 15. And when a woman, and I'm particularly using a woman here because this is the the, the subject matter that Paul's addressing. When a woman in this context, and then using the principle, when a woman adheres to her God-given role, Not trying to listen to what culture says you ought to be, but trusting in the sufficiency of the word. When you walk in accordance with the role that God has given you, it demonstrates that you're being saved from the power of sin. It furthermore demonstrates uh, that you are being saved from the power of sin in giving evidence of your justification, that you really are changed, have been regenerated, and that you are being preserved by God and you are persevering in your faith. Now that's a lot to take in. And I'm glad you haven't thrown anything at me yet. But I do contend, until my mind is changed, and I can't envision it being changed, that this is not a difficult passage. It is no more difficult than be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. It's no more difficult than let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. It's no more difficult than you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Which is to say this, apart from the redeeming power of Christ, and the filling of the Holy Spirit, we can't obey these commands at all. When men and women walk according to created order and within their God-assigned roles in the church, listen, it is a demonstration of the wisdom and presence and power of Christ. And furthermore, it's a way that we witness to the world. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We trust you. We know you're good. This may have been difficult to hear. 
But Lord, when we understand that Paul is not aiming to, quote unquote, put women in their place, but he's actually contending for them. He wants their outward appearance not to be characterized by dress as much as it is by discipleship. But he's concerned for order in the church so they have a place where they can learn. And he's concerned for orthodoxy, for right doctrine. I so appreciate what you did through Paul, Father. To guide Timothy as he tries to guide the church in Ephesus to walk in the sufficiency of your revealed word. Lord, if there's anyone here that is struggling with this, I pray that um, perhaps they would come and we'd visit and talk about this. Furthermore, Father, I pray that um, their heart would be submissive to you. And not, um, and realize that getting all upset about the interpretation, they could in fact be going against what you've prescribed. Lord, I pray none here would do that today. If there are any that need you as Savior and Lord, I pray that today, even though we haven't talked so much about Christ's sacrifice and what it does for the sinner, uh, that you would save people today. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing the song, The Savior is Waiting. I ask you to stand and let's sing this together. Just a moment, just to give you a few updates on the prayer list. I remind you that um, there is a prayer vigil over in Pontiac. Where is that prayer vigil exactly? I'm sorry? Fire department. Okay, so not hard to find there. Um, that'll be at 6.30 to pray for Addie Webster. Uh, Billy Woolsey knows Denise is not here. Billy had um, rotator cuff repair on Friday, came through uh, well, just still in a lot of pain. Bruce Sarapaka had open heart surgery on Thursday, a valve replacement and a bypass, and he is doing well. Um, I'm not aware of any other updates at this time. Maybe some of you might have some. Anyone or any other prayer requests? Jared. Yes. Pray for Sydney and Isaac in Colorado. They're having a great time. I think Sydney was going whitewater rafting today. Poor kid. So anyway, any other prayer requests or updates? Well, let's stand. We'll have a time of prayer. We'll be dismissed with a great commission. Father, we turn to you now, Lord, with uh, glad hearts and also heavy hearts. We're glad uh, to know that um, Billy and Bruce did not go into surgery alone, that you were there. You've said to us, you'll never leave us or forsake us. 
And I'm so grateful for the skill of the doctors uh, who worked on the two of them and that their recovery is going well, and I pray for complete healing. But at the same time, Lord, our heart is heavy that someone at such a young age is dealing with something so um, deadly. We pray, God, for her complete healing. We know that it will be a long, arduous road uh, with lots of ups and downs. We pray that their hearts as a family could be focused on you and your goodness. We pray for those that would come around them, partner with them, uh, take lock arms with them, uh, love them well, uh, just with a shoulder to cry on, uh, with words of comfort from the scriptures, or just by meeting physical needs. But Lord, we do humbly and with hearts filled with faith uh, believe that you can heal, and we ask that you do. Uh, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.